So this passage of scripture has been blessing me ever since Tuesday of this week. And it's Romans chapter 15, verse 13. It says, now may the God of hope. Can I get somebody to shout hope? hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Please catch this. God wants us to be filled with hope, with joy, with peace and belief. Okay. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing that you may abound in, there's that word again, y'all talk to me, what's that word? Hope, by the power of your grind. It's not what the Bible says? By the power of your hustle. It's not what your Bible says? By the power of your efforts. By the power of the Holy Spirit. May the God of hope, church family, hope is powerful. Hope is powerful. In fact, one of the multifaceted reasons and purposes on why the Holy Spirit has constructed this stress management series is because God knows that stress robs hope. Stress robs our ability to hope. Let's break this down a little further. Hope is the kryptonite to fear. <laughs> Get your notes out early. Hope is the kryptonite to fear. Whenever you're facing something daunting, whenever you're facing something terrifying, whenever you're facing something scary, hope can give you that boldness juice so that you can still press through it. Hope is powerful. Let me put my foot on the gas a little further. Hope reminds the soul that this is temporary. This pandemic is temporary. This crisis, it is temporary. This storm, it is temporary. This setback is temporary. Hope reminds the soul that this is temporary. Let's keep pushing. Hope is when the eyes of our heart see the light, when the eyes of our head only see darkness. <laughs> hope is powerful. In fact, hope causes for your faith to be stubborn. Did y'all hear what I just said? Hope causes for your faith to be stubborn. Hope will cause for your faith to have a little attitude. Your faith will have a little attitude towards things that seem impossible. Faith will cause for your attitude to be a little defiant towards people who say that you can't do this and this can't be done and this is not possible. And the reason your faith has a little attitude is because we know at any given moment we serve the God who can step in our situation and step in on our behalf and declare overruled. Did y'all hear what I just said? Hope causes for your faith to be stubborn because we know at any given moment it just takes the right situation for our God to step in and declare overruled. I know you thought it was over, but God can declare. Y'all talk to me overruled. If you look a little closer, that mistake did not cause you to have a period. It's really a comma. I know that you think that you're too old. Who told you that? I know that you think that you're too young. Who told you that? I know that you think that you're too messy. Who told you that? Our faith has a stubbornness to it because it knows at any given moment, God can declare overruled. <laughs> but you don't understand. They left me. They went ghost on me. They hurt me. Um, overruled. Redirection feels just like rejection in the beginning. They feel the same. Redirection and rejection feel exactly the same in the beginning. It's just that God loves you and God loves me so much that when he sees we are going down a hazardous route, when he sees that we are making choices that would be our demise, when he sees that we are hanging with people that would cause for us to experience a breach in our purpose, he knows how to redirect. You call it reject. God calls it redirect. It can come in the form of a layoff. It can come in the form of a breakup. Y'all don't want to talk to me. It can come in the form of somebody going ghost on you. We have faith 
that are stubborn because we know at any given moment, God can step in and declare overruled. This pandemic is getting bad. Y'all heard about these monkey pox? <laughs> it's getting bad. It could cause a recession. Um, overruled. Do, do, do you not know that our God can supply droughts in wildernesses? He can supply brooks in a wilderness. And our God can give us meat from a raven. Our God can give us arcs when there's a storm. Our God can provide water from a rock. Maybe they haven't heard, but heaven never has a shortage. <laughs> heaven never has a shortage. Hope causes for our faith to be stubborn because we know at any given moment, God could step in and declare, y'all shout it to me, overrule. Before you panic, remember God could say, talk to me. Before you lose hope, remember God can say, before you get discouraged, remember God could say, hope causes for our faith to be stubborn. In fact, we can learn from nature the power of hope. I actually researched this. Like for a bee, like let's consider a bee, for example. You know what a bee is, right? It's that thing that y'all run from. <laughs> Have a whole six foot two, 200 plus dude acting like he bought the box. Watch out, bro. Hold up. Over a bee. <laughs> you were so masculine until you. <laughs> a bee. A bee is the secretary and assistant to the changing of seasons. A bee. Now, don't judge me because there are a lot of creatures that God made, but there's this one creature that I really don't like. There's just this one we're going to talk about in a minute. Like, I'm like, God. You could have gone without this one. The, out of your whole creative and innovative self, you could have left that one in your book of creation. We're going to talk about that one in a second. But like the bee is instrumental in pollinating the earth. Every creature under heaven and under the sun has a purpose, has a mission, and has an assignment. There are no random events. There is no such thing as a random person, a random animal, nor a random insect. Bees are the secretary to help crops and plants shake off the icicles from winter and embrace that a new season has come. Another organism that you probably never have thought about is a earthworm. A earthworm like one of his whole assignment, it is a, a strong contributor to the well-being and welfare of soil health. Like they provide aeration and infrastructure and also they contribute nutrients to the water cycle and they help plants grow. Did you know that earthworms actually decompose organic matter as they're eating through the soil and they consume microorganisms so that your crops can grow? Everything under the heavens has a purpose, has a mission, and has an assignment. Or what about squirrels? Y'all know those things that cross the road, that act like they don't care about traffic? You just had to get to the other side, didn't you? <laughs> squirrels are the world's natural gardeners. They go from tree to tree and gather seeds and acorns, dig in the soil and bury them and do it from this tree to that tree. And many times they forget where they planted that seed. So they are actually instrumental in sowing a forest. Sowing new trees. All of creation. This is what's crazy to me. Everything under the sun knows that it has a mission, assignment, a purpose, and a calling, except man. Like, like everything else, no, we have a job, we have a responsibility, we have something that we have to do. The only one 
that does not want to fulfill its assignment is mankind. Now, could y'all imagine if bees thought like man? Okay. <laughs> Just what if the bees one day decided, I don't feel like doing this. They just want me for my honey anyway. <laughs> they don't really love me. They just want what I could do for them. Uh-oh, my body, my choice. I could do what I want with my body. I could do what I want with my time because it's my body and it's my choice. Now, not only would that have drastic effects on agriculture, it then would ultimately affect farmers and wildlife, which would ultimately affect grocery stores and restaurants, which would ultimately affect the economy, which would ultimately affect our jobs, which would ultimately affect your salary, which would ultimately affect your budget, and the way our faith is set up, that would then begin to affect your faith. Mess with my money, and then you start messing with my, y'all don't wanna talk to me. My faith. That's just if a small specimen as a bee said, my body, my choice. I could do what I want to. What if they viewed them contributing pollen as nothing? I want to talk to somebody who has a gift, an idea, but you view it as pollen. I know you see it as pollen, but God sees it as someone's salary. I know you see your voice in your book as just pollen, but God sees it as affecting the earth's atmosphere. I know that you see that your ministry is just pollen, but God sees it as instrumental and leading somebody else to Christ. What are you minimizing that you're saying is too small? Maybe the next time you think what you do is too small, you should find a bee. <laughs> Bees are so faithful that they will lay their life down at the expense of their brothers and sisters' purpose. I will die if anything threatens the hive. And you're married and you won't even serve your spouse. But a bee will sting, lose a stinger, and die to make sure everybody else is protected, but we can't even serve one another. Who under the sound of my voice thinks what you've been doing is too small? We are many members, come here, of one body. Don't you understand that God specializes in making big moves with small things? Let me help somebody. Even Jesus came from a small hood. Y'all didn't know Nazareth was a hood, did you? <laughs> Research your Bible. Like Nazareth was about 55 miles away from Jerusalem, and it was a small, filth-ridden town. It didn't have a good reputation because when people heard that Jesus came from Nazareth, they were like, John 1 verse 46, can anything good come out of Nazareth? So why in the world would your big God come from a small place? Is it because he wants to remind us that I'm the God that can make big moves with small things? You think your idea is too small? Give it to a big God. You think that your gift is too small? Give it to a big God. You think that your influence is too small? Give it to a big God. You think that your past is too dirty? You are in good company because God has a resume of taking messy people, cleaning them up and anointing him as his messengers. You serve a God who specializes in making big moves with small things. Yeah, but you don't understand what I did. Uh, he erases evidence. I told us this for resurrection. They couldn't charge Peter with assaulting an officer because once Peter chopped off the high priest servant's ear, Jesus took this man's bloody ear, put it right back on the right location so that if they tried to convict Peter of assaulting an officer, they couldn't do it because Jesus erased some evidence. And I just have a sneaky suspicion that there's people watching online and in the house that God has erased some evidence. If you were to stand and give your testimony, people be like, you lying. You didn't used to do crack. You didn't used to strip. You didn't used to be a gangbanger. And you say, I'm glad that you can't tell. It just confirms in my heart that I serve a God who erases the evidence. 
all of creation fulfills and carries out its purpose, except man. Now, this, this creature that I was talking about a few moments ago, that I'm like, God, you could have missed us with this one. Like, I guarantee you, as good as this word is, like this is a rhema, as good as it is, if this creature would come in here, you wouldn't hear nothing I'm saying. <laughs> this creature that I'm like, God, you could have left that one out, is the creature called a rat. <laughs> what y'all owing for? It has a purpose. <laughs> would y'all be able to still focus if y'all saw a rat on the stage? <laughs> All right, like, I'm sorry, bro, that church nasty. <laughs> I don't do rats. Rats have an assignment too. They are like the earth's custodian. Scavengers, they clean and they also are like squirrels. They gather seeds and they plant them in the earth as well. I know you don't like rats and we call them pests. I understand. I don't like rats either. I just told y'all. See, some of y'all were judging me until you found out it was a rat. But there was this experiment done 1950 by Kurt Richard. He decided to put a rat in this little tank. And he noticed that the rat could swim for two to three minutes before drowning. Then he put another rat in. He had all types of rats. He had domestic rats, field rats, and, and wildlife rats. True research. And he noticed all of these rats could swim for about two to three minutes. And then Kurt had this idea. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to wait until the rat is about to drown and take it out. So the rat was swimming, because they're excellent swimmers. It was swimming for about two or three minutes, and then as it began to give up and drown, Kurt grabbed the rat, let it recover, and put it back. This rat now swam for 18 hours. The rat was swimming for two minutes, three minutes before it drowned. When the rat was about to drown, he took it out, put it back, it swam for 18 minutes. So now he began to test this experiment on other rats. Every time the rat was about to go under, he would take the rat out, let it recover, and put it back. And each and every rat would swim up to 18 hours. One even swam for a day. What was the common factor that caused this rat Look how this rat is about to preach. That caused this rat to not give up. One word, hope. Hope. The rat thought to itself, last time I was about to die. The last time I was about to drown, I got saved from it. So even though I feel like giving up this time, I remember the last time, y'all don't hear me. We're learning from a rat. The last time I was about to go under, somebody scooped me up. Somebody helped me recover. And I don't know if that's going to happen again, but I have hope. I have hope. You know what hope is? It's your spirit saying you still got some fight left. I'm talking to somebody. This is why you can't settle because you still got some fight left. This is why you can't lay on the canvas too long because you still got some fight left. I know you're tired. I know the trauma knocked the wind out of you. And you hear the referee of life saying three, four, five. But something on the inside of you is saying, boy, you better get up. Girl, you better get up. You can't quit. It's because you still have some fight left. It's like when I was sparring years ago and my coach told me, Flowers, you got some fight left. I'm like, I'm tired, bro. I learned my lesson. He said, no, go back out there. You still got some fight left. And then round two, y'all don't judge me. Round two, he, he lost his mind and he removed the stool and didn't let me sit down. He said, all right, stand up. I said, I'm tired, bro. I learned my lesson. He said, no, Flowers, you still got some fight left. So I go out there and I'm sparring this dude. I'm getting hit. And I go back and said, all right, coach, I got my lesson. I'm about to take my headgear off. He said, no, 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 you still got some fight left. And I go out, and now my arms are like noodles. It's round four. Don't y'all judge me. It's round four. Try to box. Four rounds is tiring. 
It's round four and I'm tired. And I said, coach, why you have me going out here talking about you still have some fight left? And he says, stop talking so loud. Never speak the language that makes your opponent think he's getting to you. He said, stop talking so loud. The reason I'm having you stand up, the reason I'm having you continue to fight is because this dude is training for the Olympics and he is confused on why he hasn't knocked you out. He's confused on why you're still here. He's confused that you're coming out round after round. Maybe this is why you should lift your hands in worship and you feel unworthy. Maybe this is why you still should come to the house of God when you feel dirty. Maybe this is why you should still pray even after you did it. Because it reminds the enemy, I still got some fight left. I didn't make the best decision last night, but I still got some fight left. I haven't made the best choices in my life, but I still got some fight left. May the God of hope, joy, and peace in believing cause for us to have an abundance of hope. Why are we dealing so diligently with stress, it's because stress has caused for so many of us to be hopeless. 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 You know what? One of the biggest contradictions for the Christ follower, for the Christian is, A, to be unloving, and B, to be hopeless. One of the biggest contradictions for anybody who says, I'm a follower of Jesus, is to be unloving and is to be hopeless. So the Holy Spirit says we have to deal with stress because stress is causing for a lot of my children to lose hope. Because stress defers hope. Come here, part one. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. A lot of us, under the sound of my voice and watching online, we have hearts that have a cold. Y'all missed what I just said. <laughs> Stress defers hope. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. A lot of us have hearts with colds. Because I'm so stressed out. And I feel so hopeless. No wonder we keep conjuring up worst case scenario in our head. Am I talking to anybody? No wonder we conjure up worst case scenario in our head because stress has burglarized our hope. To be hopeless is to believe you are in a situation that is the worst case scenario or the worst case scenario is imminent. That's what it means to be hopeless. It can't get any worse than this. And stress will make us believe that we are in a worse situation than we really are. To be stressed is to lose hope. And to be hopeless causes exhaustion. And exhaustion leads to addiction. I can't start my day without my coffee. I got to have my coffee. I can't. I got to have my coffee. I got to have my henny. I got to have my henny. I got to have my weed. I got to have my weed. Because stress makes you hopeless and hopeless makes you exhausted. And exhausting, exhaustion makes you have addictions. Because the root of it is I'm stressed. So I have all of these negative thoughts. And negative thinking is the treadmill of exhaustion because it keeps you in the same place but you have the same thoughts so I feel stressed or for some of us is it is a perversion of defense meaning these type of people I don't hope for anything I expect the worst I'm not going to get disappointed because I'm expecting the worst thing to happen. I don't get excited for anything just in case it goes south. I'm talking to somebody. Y'all should see y'all faces. I have no expectation. I have no desire and I have no hope. I'm preparing. I'm defending myself from getting hurt. Perversion of defense. Or some of us have great things, but you can't enjoy it because you think you're going to lose it. <laughs> Talk Holy Spirit. So I think I'm going to lose it so I don't have hope, joy, or peace. Hope is affected by our stress. And hopelessness causes for us to have a short fuse. 
The mask that a stressed out person wears is anger. Anger. Can I tell y'all something? Very profound, but very simple. Anger causes for you to forget. I'm going to just use me. I've been on I-45. Have somebody cut me off. I forget all about Jesus. <laughs> Don't you? I'm using me. Y'all holy. I'm using me. I forget. You a whole pastor. Bro. Like I wanted to roll my window down. Am I the only one? Why y'all looking at me like that? <laughs> Anger causes for you to forget. Forget who you talking to. Forget where you at. Go outside, let a car drive through in the parking lot, let some water splash all on your dress. You gonna forget. You didn't see me standing right here? Don't let them say, God bless you. <laughs> it, it causes for you to forget. A lot of us, under the sound of my voice, are angry. And the reason we're angry is because we're stressed. So for part three of this stress management series, I want to speak around this thought from this subject. I'm just so angry. Have you ever woken up angry? Nobody said anything. So online, y'all talk to me. They act like I'm, I might as well have an empty sanctuary. Okay, so let me ask again. Have you ever woke up and the first emotion you felt was anger? Now, sometimes you could trace the anger, but have you woke up angry and don't know why? <laughs> angry. Let, let's say this confession together uh, for the rest of this, as, this, as the rest of this message will come for your life. Um, can I get us to say, Father, give me self-government and emotional intelligence. My anger should never contradict my witness. Oh, let's say that again. Father, give me self-government and emotional intelligence. My anger should never contradict my witness. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, this, this series has a twofold objective. The first objective of this series is to provide us with wisdom so that we can organically and genuinely experience the peace of God for real this time. The peace of God on your home, the peace of God in your mind, the peace of God in your marriage, the peace of God in your soul. I don't want to just talk about it. I want to experience it. That's the first objective of this sermon series. The second objective is to give us emotional intelligence to such a degree that the blessings of God, we could actually maintain and have joy with them. Many of us haven't recognized that one of the main emotions that we display, <laughs> one of the main emotions that we deliver when we're stressed is anger. Anger sets the soul on fire. And for many of us, we're in a house that's on fire, but instead of us trying to find the exit, somehow we learn to embrace the heat. <laughs> anger, anger, anger. Or I know that we label it as they got anger issues, but this is just something I've discovered just from counseling over the years. Most of the time, people are angry because one of these two things, what happened to them or what didn't happen to them. Something in your childhood happened or something in your childhood didn't happen. And we label it as anger issues, but anger is never the primary issue. It's always the shadow of something else. Did y'all hear what I just said? Anger is never the primary issue. It's always the shadow of something else. For example, you're walking with your wife, fiance, girl, whatever it may be, and a guy comes up and starts flirting with her. She didn't even respond yet. But you 
have to come over there because you alpha male. You have to say, hey, what, what you doing, bro? And you talking to him? You going to do this in my face, though? You going to do this in my face, like, for real? See, this is how it is. Find the right home. Find the right home. She hasn't even talked to him. Now, you would walk away saying, this brother got anger issues. But really, it's an insecurity issue. There is an insecurity in him. Or this relationship has agitated some insecurities. Or we don't like this. You know that this is not God's will, but you're trying to make it work. And so now everything makes you tick because you want this to be God's will, but it's not. And you can't make somebody become God's will for your life. And so really you're irritated at God. Somebody else will label it anger issues, but really it's I'm not secure because God's hand is not on this. <laughs> Anger is never the primary issue. It's always the shadow of something else. Another example, you tell her you're going to call her as soon as you're on lunch break at 12.30. It is 12.40 and you got six text messages. <laughs> Two calls, y'all laugh, but it happens. And she's like, where were you? This is what I'm talking about. You told me that you were going to call me. I'm sitting here waiting. I rearranged my whole schedule just because you said that you were going to call me. I need to know that my man is consistent. I need to know that he has some character. I need to know that, she, that, that he keeps his word. And you thinking like, bro, I just had to use the bathroom. I just 10 minutes. And so he'll step away thinking, nah, bro, she ain't the one. She got, she got anger issues, man. But what you really don't know was that she grew up with insecure and inconsistent caregivers. And somebody who has inconsistent parents, it causes for them to be a stickler for their word. So when somebody says they're going to do something and they don't do it, it starts to mentor that historical pain. And I start to feel exactly how I felt when I was eight, when you said you would show up in my volleyball game, but you didn't, when you didn't call me like you said, you did it took me back to that little girl who had a mama who didn't keep her word I'm like okay yeah but she just needs some healing she she might need some therapy I'm not knocking that no seriously therapy is for your history this is for your destiny I need both right that's why we do therapy Thursday this is the hand of your history, and this is the hand of your destiny. But this is one thing I've learned. Maybe it ticks you off so much, bro, because you're not graced for her. Did y'all hear what I just said? I know the Amber Alert distracted you, but did you hear what I just said? Maybe, I feel like that's confirmation somebody. Listen, <laughs> listen, listen. Your name not Amber, but it's listen. <laughs> Seriously, like, have you ever considered the reason this irritates you so much is because you possibly are not grace for them? My wife has issues. I have issues, but I'm graced for her issues. So to me, her issues don't seem that bad. Because I'm graced for her. Some of us are trying, ooh, some of us are trying to make things work that you're not graced for. I'm not saying that it's your responsibility to help them heal, but I am saying you will be an assistant to the healing process. Thank you for the one golf clap. <laughs> Maybe you're just not graced for this person. Because when I'm graced for a person, I recognize as a husband and as a father, it's my job to love my wife to such a degree that she'll forget what it ever felt like to be heartbroken. That's every husband, that's your job. So maybe instead of going off of just, oh, this is how they make me feel, ask yourself this question, am I graced? Am I graced for this person? What biblical icon, what biblical candidate could we use, take a snapshot of his life to show us the power of unchecked anger besides my boy, Moses? <laughs> we got to do your boy like that. <laughs> Moses. 
Moses has an absolutely amazing story. He's one of my, one of my biblical icons. I call him, he is a candidate for the hall of faith. He's an amazing journey and story. It starts off with Pharaoh committing genocide, killing all two-year-old babies and under. And his mother puts Moses in a basket and floats him down the Nile. And Pharaoh's daughter discovers the basket and pulls Moses out and says, we got to get one of these Hebrew women to, to nurse him. And she ends up getting his mama. <laughs> so they end up paying Moses' mama to do what she would have done for free. <laughs> That's how God works when his hand is on stuff. It makes it easy. So Moses grows up. A little awkward. This, this is for all of my awkward people. Like, he's a little too Hebrew to totally be Egyptian. But then he's too Egyptian to, to totally be Hebrew. So it's like, I can relate to the Egyptians, but then I can also relate to the Hebrews. I wonder if there ever been anybody that felt like, I'm kind of this and I'm kind of that. And sometimes you're like, okay, am I called to be this or am I called to be that? But God puts you in a predicament where you're going to use this and that for his glory. Yeah. This is for my awkward people. Love church, love serving. I just don't, I'm an introvert. <laughs> okay. You're going to find a whole bunch of other introverts too. So one day he sees a Hebrew getting beaten. That anger rises up and he murders a man. Moses caught a body. <laughs> that, angry, because anger murders. Y'all didn't hear what I just said. Anger murders, maybe not physically, but verbally. Anger murders. He runs, has this encounter with God, tells him, go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Has this whole journey. They come out of the wilderness. And now Moses is in this predicament when they're like, hey, bro, we're thirsty. And I want to show us this. It's a whole different perspective that I saw this week as I was studying. Exodus chapter 17, verse 1. I, I want you guys to see this because it kind of, I don't know if you caught this, but I caught it. Exodus chapter 17, verse 1. It says, then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped in Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Everybody say, no water, no water. for the people. Okay, therefore, the people contended with Moses and saying, give us water that we may drink. So Moses said, why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, what shall I do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. This is something I saw that I never, ever considered. As I'm looking at this story, and they're coming to Moses, and they're saying, Moses, give us something to drink. He's like, why, why y'all charging me up? Man, you brought us up out here to die. Our animals are thirsty. We're thirsty. I just was reading this, and I said, man, did they ever consider Moses might be thirsty too? I'm looking at the text. Maybe it's because I'm a pastor. Maybe it's because I'm a leader. Have you ever considered he's thirsty just like you. I don't have some special brook in the back where I'm telling y'all move forward and trust the Lord, but I'm really drinking. My mouth is dry too. I need some water too. I'm human too. I hurt too. I experience trauma too. I have pain just like you. It's a dangerous thing to be surrounded by people that never consider they might be thirsty too. Could you be so stressed because you're hanging around thirsty people who have never considered you're thirsty yourself? See, I know it's golf claps. We don't ever want to consider. <laughs> Just maybe Moses was being bold before the people, but thirsty himself. Who in your life is inconsiderate of your thirst? Telling you what they need while the whole time you need the same thing. 
So I just hopped down a little bit, and it showed me two classisms of people I want us to consider. Exodus chapter 17, we just read verses 1 through 4, but I want to hop down to verse 8. I want to hop down to verse 8, and uh, those that I asked to come here real quick, could you come here? Um, Amber, Tiffany, Avi, come here real quick. Tanisha, I want, I want to show you guys something. Y'all could just come and stand on the side. Clap it up for my beautiful sisters. Would you stand right here for me? I want you guys to see this. Exodus chapter 17, verse 8. If you're there, would you holler? I got it. It says, now Amalekah came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalekah. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalekah. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held his hands up that Israel prevailed. And when he let his hands down, Amalekah prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy. So, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. This was messing me up, y'all, because Moses is like a foreshadowing of Christ. Like Moses helped his people become free from bondage. Jesus helped us become free from the bondage of sin. Moses is on top of a hill. Jesus died on top of a hill. Moses' arms were on top of a hill like this. Jesus was on top of a hill like this. Moses has Aaron and her. It was Jesus and two other criminals. And as long as Moses' hands were up, the people prevailed. But as soon as his hands went down, the people lost. As long as Jesus stays on the cross and resurrected from the grave, we prevail. But if Jesus would have took his hands down and got off the cross, we would have we would have died too. Moses had to sit on a stone. Jesus is the chief cornerstone, which the builders rejected. That's not even my point. That's just good exegesis. But I'm, I'm looking at this text and I'm like, man. So Tanisha and Tiffany, I want y'all to come hold my arms. Avi and Amber, I want y'all to come before me, extending your arms, okay? So hold my arms up. So I began to think, are you surrounded by people who hold you up or have their arms extended out? Same book, same chapter. Could you be so stressed because I don't have anybody who could support me when I'm in a battle but I'm surrounded by people with their arms out. Hold on for just one second. Y'all keep your arms out. Maybe I'm stressed and I'm triggered <laughs> because my circle looks like this. When you come here to the house of God, you get encouraged for a moment because in church right now, you're like this. What I'm trying to get you to understand, y'all let my arms go, is you need to have this on your own. Y'all missed it. I need to be able to worship on my own. I need to know God for myself on my own. I need to have my own devotion. Not saying, y'all come back, not saying that accountability is not necessary. But I wonder, are you stressed out? Because I have more Ambers and Avis in my life than Aaron and her. Now it kind of makes sense. If I got people who are thirsty and I'm thirsty, and they're more concerned about their thirst than my heavy arms, I might hit a rock because of them. <laughs> the danger is when all of y'all extend your arms out. The danger is when I'm in the presence of leeches. <laughs> Hear me. 
Because this means leeches attach themselves to host. All of y'all touch me. The way they're living is being by touch, is by gleaning from me. But the more they're gleaning from me, the more drained I'm getting. I need people, I'm gonna put a little weight on y'all. Y'all ready? Hold me. I need people who, when I lean back, y'all can't even tell I'm leaning because they got me. I chose my sisters on purpose because we have a lot of sisters who are anointed for ministry. And there are a lot of ministers who are men who are fallen because you're not surrounded by brothers and sisters who are clearly anointed and called by God to minister, to preach. And they can help you in the seasons that you feel weak. Sisters see stuff I forget. We have a women's conferences and Tiffany and I'm like, okay, uh, do you have lotion for the bathrooms? <laughs> Amazon, okay, who's picking them up from the airport? I'm like, oh, I ain't thought about that. Maybe, maybe Torrance. Torrance like, no, nah, I got to run the camera. Sisters, help me in areas that I miss. Who is your helpers? Who are your helpers? And just maybe you're so stressed out, stick your arms out, because everybody around you is like this. Believe it or not, social media is like this. Show us your false world. It's called IG stories, but really that's not the story. That's a scene. So now you feel insecure because everybody's posting a scene of a story that's not real. And so now I have all of these comparison issues because I'm addicted to something that says, give me, give me, give me. If you never are gleaning from, you're eventually going to be famished. You guys can have your seat. We help y'all down. So in Numbers chapter 20, I'm only going to read two verses. It makes sense now. In Numbers chapter 20, verse 11, God told Moses to speak to the rock. Then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod. And water came out abundantly and the congregation and the animals drank. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and said, because you did not believe me to hollow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Here's your word. Your anger is expensive and don't let it cost you experiencing a promise due to their petty. Okay. Other people may not know what you're called to do, but you're telling me you're going to exempt yourself because of a moment and fleshing out? Stress management. There are types of anger. I made a chart I want you guys to see. And I'm gonna give you five points and we're done. There are types of anger. The reason I want us to see this is because one of the things I constantly say throughout my messages all year long is if you could trace it, you can unlearn it. Okay, why am I angry? We have stress-based fear, stress-based anger, excuse me, fear-based anger, pain-based anger, jealous-based anger, tantrum-based anger, and righteous-based anger. Most of our anger has never been righteous. <laughs> Which one of these angers does your emotions swim in the most? Stress-based anger. It is the anger where you're so stressed out, you're yelling at everybody. Everybody's getting the residue of what's stressing you. Is that the anger that is permeating your heart? Or is it fear-based Anger. Amen. When you, when you going to write that book? Don't worry about when I'm going to write the book. Why do you keep asking me that, man? I'm going to write the book when I got time. You're like, bro, what, what's wrong with you? I'm scared of people rejecting it. I'm scared of it not working. That's not what is being said, but anger is being displayed. Fear-based anger. Pain-based anger. You're hurt, so you got to hurt them. This happens in relationships all the time. What she said or what he said hurt your feelings. And so now you have to hurt them back because mama didn't raise no fool. Ain't nobody going to talk to me like that. And so now we are trying to hurt each other. Painful covenants. 
because both of us are trying to hurt one another. Jealous-based anger. You're so caught up with what God is doing in their life, or you want to reap the benefits of a grind that you didn't do. <laughs> I want this. You're not studying like them. You're not working out like them. You're not practicing like them. Oh, I'm good as such and such. I'm like, okay, when I study champions, Floyd Mayweather was working out six hours a day. Like, bruh, that's crazy. Steph Curry, six hours a day to where he's so cold where he's like, if it hits the rim, it don't count. What, bro? I'm shooting, and if it hit the rim, it doesn't count. That's his work ethic. You want his platform? Are you willing to work like that? Jealousy-based anger. Tantrum-based anger, this is where a lot of people get manipulative, get controlling. Why? Because I can't have my way. Just like your children, you say no to the popsicle, it's a tantrum. Here we are, 46, not getting our way, still having tantrums. The root of it is I like having my way. Ooh, okay, I'm trying to hurry up. Righteous-based anger. This is the anger that's towards, like, injustice. You didn't have to lay on that dude's neck like that. Injustice. And it makes me angry when those have a position to say something about it. Don't, because they like the little sweet version of Jesus. They don't want to preach the Jesus that flipped over tables. Injustice. Makes me angry. Uvalde made me angry. Things that have a righteous indignation. It's not about you. It's about your heart is feeling for somebody else. And truthfully, this is the type of anger that we're supposed to have the most. Righteous-based anger. Point number one. I'm going to get out your ways. I'll look like y'all can't handle anymore. <laughs> Point number one. Prolonged anger always sabotages its landlord. One more time. Prolonged anger always sabotages its landlord. Your anger will always hurt you more than anybody else. It hurts you. It's like this time I was trying to get on a plane and I put my bag through the check security. This is my carry-on luggage. And they checked my bag. I'm like, why y'all check mine? I'm trying to hurry and catch the plane. Why y'all check mine? So they grab my backpack and they're like, okay, uh, sir, we got to see what's in here. How you doing today? I'm like, don't talk to me. I'm, I'm ready to catch my. So, how you doing today? Like, okay, uh, sir, well, you, you can't travel with this hairspray that you got in this bag. It, it's too large. I'm like, okay, I'm about to minister. I don't want my hair to look like taco meat. Uh, what, what do I got to do? They said, oh, well, if, if you want to keep your bag, sir, you could just Recheck it for a small fee of $25. This, this hairspray was $4, y'all. <laughs> keep it for $25. What are you paying for to keep? What are you paying for to keep? And watch this. Are you paying more than its value to keep it? Ain't nobody going to talk to me like that. Ain't nobody going to handle me like that. Okay. You're going to stay right here and other people are going to go past you because you're trying to get on board with something that is considered hazardous material. And as long as you have anger in your heart that goes unchecked, God views it as hazardous material. I can't let you leave because you're hazardous. I can't give you that promotion because you're hazardous. I can't give you a spouse yet because you're hazardous. I have to deal first with what is in the carry on of your soul. And all Jerry is this afternoon, I'm a spiritual TSA agent, letting you know you're flying with something that's hazardous. And it's going to keep you stuck at the check-in until you say, God, help me with my anger. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 9 says, be not quick in your spirit to become angry. Listen to this, y'all. For anger lodges in the heart of fools meaning it lives there. Point number two, anger must have a curfew. This is so good, y'all. so good. Anger must have a curfew. Listen, Ephesians chapter four, verse 26, it says, in your anger, do not sin. 
Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Notice the text is not saying don't be angry. It's teaching us how to handle your anger. You can be angry, just don't sin with it. Now, if you let your anger sit there, then you're going to give a foothold to the devil. And then now it's going to transform into bitterness and possibly rage because anger lodges in the hearts of fools. Anger must have a curfew. You mad? You could be big mad. But how long are you going to be big mad? When are we going to talk? Like in marriage, this is why I try to get un- people to un- uh, unmarried people to understand. There is no go home. I go to my house. No, we're in the same bed. And I'm not sleeping on the couch. And she's not sleeping on the couch. So you got to understand, anger must have a curfew. It's God-like to give your anger a curfew. I'm going to prove it to you. Let me give you a Bible. Psalms chapter 30, verse 4, it says, Sing praises to the Lord, you saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name, for his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. This is so good, man. Anybody who's angry, I'm serious. It may sound corny to you, but give it a curfew. I'm going to be angry just for one hour. I ain't going to sin. And you begin to know, can your body handle anger that long? For some of us, give it five minutes, because if it gets six, it's over. <laughs> anger must have a curfew. You are, you are operating with the level of emotional maturity when you could be angry and not hurt people. Number three, forgive you as you forgive them. The level of your ability to forgive others is tied to your level of ability to forgive you. Some of us owe you an apology. Nobody said nothing. I'm sorry for hurting you. And you talking to yourself. I'm sorry for making choices outside of God's will, thinking that I could be happy outside of him. We recognize that doesn't work. I'm going to make the December version of you so proud due to the choices I'm going to make on August the 21st. It starts today. Number four, figure out the shadow. Remember, anger is never the primary issue. It's the shadow of something else. What's the shadow? What's the root cause of your anger? Fear-based, pain-based, jealousy-based, tantrum-based. Why am I angry? Because until I figure the why, I won't know the technique. Last point, abound in hope. Abound in hope. God is saying, listen, we could talk about the wonders of God. We could study eschatology. We could study apologetics. All those things are necessary. All of them. But when you're walking around hopeless, it never gets root. This message may not be for everybody, but something is coming that's going to make you angry. Everybody on the side of my voice. It may not be relevant to you right now. Might be tomorrow though. Might be in two weeks. And we're stealing our hope, stress. So I want us to honestly ask ourselves this question. If you find yourself having fits of rage, an outburst, uncontrollable anger, mouth becomes abusive. When you're angry, it's manifesting in every facet of your life. Some of it it manifests in your music. You know what song to play. (laughs) You know what song to play when you're angry. We can learn from Moses' life. If that goes unchecked, it'll take the right person to agitate something that is at the bottom of your beaker that can disqualify you because you're not dealing with it.
purpose of this series is to be well-rounded, to deal with every emotion that God wants us to steward because he wants us to be holistically healthy. So God, we ask, expose, reveal, and remove any and everything in our life that's causing for us to operate with rage. And as parents, God, I, I pray that you give us the wisdom more swiftly because anger is contagious. And we don't want to foster a generation to be just as angry as we are because we're not dealing with the anger that's lodged in our heart. Whatever it is, God, that's irritating us, that is causing for us to act out of our Christ-like character, reveal it to us, help us heal. And I also pray that we'll always remember every word that we hear is for an experience that we will encounter. And I pray that this word will take root in our lives. So maybe we're happy on today. But when something happens in our life that sparks anger, we could come back to this message and simply regurgitate this word so that we could be beacons of hope in the world. Because you told us this in your word. It's your joy and your desire that we may abound with joy, hope, and peace and believing, abounding in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody who agrees with that prayer would just shout in the room, amen.